Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we pray for that power to be at work among us. We pray that you would speak through your word tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will I ever be good enough is our ultimate question. I don't know much about cricket, uh, but I know a little. Uh, I know you have uh, batsmen and bowlers. Uh, I know there are some people who are, who are good at batting. And so when it's your turn to bat, you put them at what's called the top of the order. And so they go near the start and get some runs on the board and give you a chance, a fighting chance in the game. And then there are people who are good at bowling and they're good at taking wickets. And that's important when it's your turn to bowl. But they are useless, some of them, at batting. And so you put them at the bottom of the order when it's your turn to bat. You don't expect much from them. They're called tail enders. You don't expect too many runs to come from their efforts at the end of the innings. And then there are some people uh, in the middle. And what you want in the middle order is what's called an all-rounder. Someone who's pretty good at everything. Not brilliant, not rubbish, but somewhere in the middle. At both batting and, and bowling. Will I ever be good enough? According to our culture is the first question, will I ever be good enough? And it seems to me that this is a sort of complex that we have in the modern West today. We have to be all-rounders. We have to be good at everything, or even better than good. Uh, we have to have a well-paid job. A career is, is very important. Uh, we, have to ha we have to look good, uh, so cosmetics are more expected than ever. Uh, looks are very important. You have to, you need, you'll need a personal trainer, or at very least, you'll need a gym membership to get that and keep your, your body beautiful. You, you need a nice big home. Uh, you need a nice expensive car. Uh, you need a couple of foreign holidays. Uh, if you're a mother, you'll have to succeed at that. Uh, spending your time with your children and, and pouring into them. Uh, you want to be well-known, famous even. You have to have plenty of people following you online. You, you hear it, don't you? You have to have it all. And the pressure, the pressure of that is big. Uh, the pressure of that is huge. It's relentless. Instagram and social media, well, they fuel this. As others present their, their photo or indeed video clip version of having it all. And we believe it. We believe it. And if we don't match up, then we're left feeling useless, uh, deflated, uh, resentful, uh, with self-esteem issues or, or even worse. Is it an accident that the rise of social media has resulted in the rise of mental health issues? They certainly come to the fore, haven't they? It's not a perfect correlation, but surely it's a factor in there somewhere. And so the question is there for us tonight. Will I ever be good enough according to our culture? Well, if perfection in all of these areas is the standard, then of course you can't match up. You can't be a super smart, super successful in your career, super beautiful, super mother or father with a great car and a wonderful home and super holidays. That level of all-rounder is just too much to expect. You might have one or two, you might have none. That level of attainment is just too much for anyone. And you need to temper your expectations, don't you? We all do. For, for the very nature of a scale is that there are things going on. Uh, there are people at the top of it and there are people at the bottom of it. There have to be people in all of the positions for there to be a scale. 
And so we do well to temper our expectations. Not everyone can be at the top, in other words. Our outward presentation of ourselves are one thing. But what about things going on that we keep to ourselves? Will I ever be good enough? Perhaps you're listening to this and you have serious baggage that plays on your mind now and then. Maybe keeps you awake some nights. You, you, maybe you've, you know you've done some things that you really aren't proud of. That you haven't got where you are today with a, with a straight bat, as it were. You have some skeletons in the closet that you would be mortified if anyone else found out about. Maybe you've a bad habit that you can't kick. Maybe it's, maybe it's illegal, but it's certainly shameful and you're hooked. What about according to the Bible? Will I ever be good enough? Well, perhaps, perhaps you think that church, like, like other charities, if you want to use that general term, is, is, is to be a force for good in the community. And as such, you, you, you come here tonight expecting uplifting and positive messages, something to soothe your mind on the topic. And yes, let me start by saying that according to the Bible, God made us and he made us good. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created a man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God creates man in his own image. Again and again in the creation narrative, God says that the creation is good. And then after day six, he indeed goes further and calls it very good. God made us, and he made us very good. You're a very good creation. He dignifies us, God, by, by making us in his likeness, carrying his image. We are at the top, the peak of creation. We are, so, we're, so we're good enough, right? Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I think we have it on the screen. God's saying that we're formed by him, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful craftsmanship. That's what you are. You're a wonderful craftsmanship. You're wonderfully made. But hang on. What about Psalm 14? It doesn't sound very, it doesn't sound so positive. Listen to it. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. What's happened? What's happened between Psalm 139 and Psalm 14, if you like? Well, Adam, in Genesis chapter 3, he sins and he breaks the world and all the people in it. Paul picks this up in Romans 3 and he famously says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. Every single one of us. So since Adam, everyone born isn't good enough to start with. They carry his sinful, a sinful nature. But the question is, will I ever be good enough? So surely we, we, we can improve. 
I mean, we, we can learn from our mistakes, can't we? We can achieve a lot together. We've been to the moon. We've, 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 we've got vaccines for this and that. We can, we can start that, that zero to hero trajectory, can't we? We can earn our way back to God's good books. Yet we read in Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6, Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So according to God, there is no getting back into his good books. He's still angry. And all our good deeds are like a polluted garment, we just read. King James Version says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And there are no good deeds with totally pure motives that can tip the balances back in, in our favor with God. Why is the Bible exacerbating the issue? Why isn't it being positive? Why isn't it holding back the tide of self-esteem issues that are going on in our society? Why? Well, the answer to that is something similar to the answer to why isn't the doctor in accident and emergency being positive now that I've showed up with my arm hanging off? Why is he being so drastically negative and strongly so in his language? Why isn't he soothing me and saying to me that I'm doing just great? And you know the answer to that, don't you? When there's a really important problem, well, soothing language is not what you need. It's drastic action that's required. And the doctor knows this. Before modern Western society and all its superficial tendencies, we may not be good enough. And that needs to be seen for what it is, superficial and unrealistic. We should not let that define us. We should not let that get to us. We should know how fake social media often is, as useful a tool as it is in all our senses. It can't be fake but before God, in the deep matter of the heart, we aren't good enough either. And that needs to be seen with much, much greater importance. He says we're not good enough. He made us and he made us good, but we fell and we fell far. And we fell from grace. When Adam sinned, it, it impacted all of us. And on that day in the Garden of Eden, guilt and shame entered our world the first time. Before Adam and Eve sinned, well, at the end of Genesis 2, it says they were not ashamed. And then, of course, the next words are Genesis 3, when, when sadly sin enters the world and brings shame and brings guilt. You see, when you violate God's law, you feel guilt. We're wired, we're, we were created to feel guilty because God made us this way. He made us in his image, and, and our conscience incriminates us. And that guilt emotion is quickly, nearly simultaneously joined by shame. They, they kind of go together. They're like twins. But is it, is it right to, to feel guilt when it exists? Well, we were made for a relationship with our Creator. And that creator, God, is, is holy and perfect. And the standard to be in a relationship with him, what we were made for, is, is perfect goodness too. So what are we going to do? 
How are we to deal with guilt and, and shame that results from it and the inadequacy that the Bible seems to, to say is, is accurate? Well, the answer is given in the same verses that Paul outlined the problem. Romans three twenty one says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Apart from the law means we cannot earn goodness by keeping God's law. We cannot try very hard and have a really good stab at it, for God's standard is not 50% or 80%, it's 100%. It's perfection. And that's too much to ask for people who are broken, like us. With righteousnesses that are like soiled clothing, as we read. But goodness, or to use the word used here, righteousness, is actually available for us another way. It's not earned, it's not achieved, it's received. It's, it's a gift, and it is a gift that is received by faith, as we just read. Through faith. And it becomes ours when we receive it by faith, by entrusting ourselves to the one that gives it. Jesus' perfect life on earth is put on our account through faith. He provides his perfect life. And he also deals with our guilt. Romans 4 verse 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Justifies is another way of saying our guilt is dealt with. All our guilty verdicts are dealt with by Jesus. Jesus is the one who lives the perfect, law-keeping, guiltless life. And the one who deals with our guilt and sin is him. We find our perfection in the great all-rounder. Jesus does both. For Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He's the great all-rounder. As fully God, he, with the divine nature, his, his obedience and suffering are, are effective in satisfying God's wrath at our sin. And the quality of his sacrifice, because he's fully God, is, is good enough to pay for our sins on the cross. A debt that eternity would not clear if you and I were to start. And not only that, he does, not only does he pay, but he can, as God, also secure eternal life for us forever. Being fully God. But being fully man means that, that he can take our place. He can stand in our place on the cross. That the same human nature that has sinned must pay for sin. And that means that with Jesus being fully man, we can benefit from his sinless life on earth. Which, of course, if it's true, then puts the Bible and the message of Christianity back into the realm of serious beacon of light and good news. A beacon in any community. A haven for the guilty, if Jesus deals with guilt. A haven for the troubled, if Jesus deals with that. A haven for the lost, if Jesus finds the lost. A home for the ashamed and the broken, if that's what Jesus does. For, of course, you need to hear the extent of the bad news up in A&E before you could ever hear the Bible out on the good news. Isn't that right? For this reason, it is even good news 
if you feel that you are not good enough before God. As strange as that might sound to you, it's even good that you feel the weight and the guilt of your sins before him. That's something that Christians call conviction. The Bible calls it uh, that. And, and, and that, that's necessary uh, for you to find the Savior. That's necessary as a step on the road to find the Savior. What about according to ourselves, finally tonight? The news reporter, um, well, when they're um, putting a microphone in someone's face uh, after an event, they don't say to the eyewitness anymore what happened. They say, how does it feel to have witnessed that? Yeah, you have a listen. That's what they ask them. They don't say, what happened, you know, at this event that you've eyewitnessed? They say, how does it feel now that you have... um, Now you've witnessed that. But how do you feel as a Christian? You see, what can happen to Christians is that we can feel like we're not good enough. We can be still troubled and beset with guilt and shame as a Christian. Will I ever be good enough is a a well-trodden path for many Christians. Because, of course, the, the, the devil can accuse us. Or, sadly, uh, some who, who claim to be Christians can, can even be a hindrance because they can make it seem like they never sin and maybe they keep a list of, of, of certain things that they would never do and things that they aren't susceptible to and, 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 and they don't do that and that makes it seem that we are third-class Christians. And, but it's really just a, a smokescreen because there are many other things where they feel if only they'd admit to it. It's a little bit like social media, where the reality is different from what's presented. And that's sadly the impact that some professing Christians can have on others. But the Bible teaches us that for Christians, and this is important, our guilt in its deepest sense is dealt with entirely when we are made right with God by trusting in Jesus. It's dealt with entirely when we are made right with God through trusting in Jesus. That's what the Bible calls justification. It's a quick, decisive event that happens at conversion. But the process of applying the truth of the gospel to our lives and what the Bible calls sanctification it is lifelong and slow and often messy and we can seem to lose our way. Shame can haunt us long after we deal with our guilt even. But we should not give in to its game. Because we need to confront both our guilt and shame with the gospel. The answer to your guilt and shame is the gospel of grace. Let's talk some facts, right? Christians are those who have been transformed. They have had their hearts renewed. Sin for a Christian no longer has dominion over them. That means you can say no. That means you can, with God's power, coursing through your veins, resist, okay? For greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. But you know what? We still give in. This gives the devil an opportunity, and he loves an opportunity. He loves his foot in the door, absolutely. An opportunity to accuse, to say to us, are you sure? Are you sure you're really a Christian after that? Are you sure you're good enough to call yourself one of them again? Guilt and shame are alive and well. 
It happens to Christians, even super-duper ones. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans 7. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He wants to do this thing, but this ends up happening, and he's struggling with a sinful nature. What about you? Can you relate to that? Ever feel like a third division Christian? Ever feel like an imposter in church? Others, well, they're so much better at being a Christian than me. Still struggling with obedience. You see, this is is the truth, isn't it? That Jesus, the all-rounder, can and does keep the commandments for you. He's good enough for you. And that's a reminder that Jesus is not just a a one-time meeting. We we need him every day as our law keeper. He's our righteousness. He's our good enough every single day. If you can't stop the feeling of guilt and shame, Jesus says, as amazing as this is, that you you are free from guilt. You are free from the guilt of sin. That's all your sin. His word is good enough for you. Our feelings um, are a bit like a toddler. They can be good, they can be fun, but you never put one in charge. I'll say that again. Feelings are like a toddler. Uh, They can be good, they can be fun, but you never put one in charge. Isn't that right? Objective truth is the best thing for subjective feelings that you can't shift. That's important. In other words, what we believe should be informed by the Bible, not our feelings, perceptions, or experiences. Listen to Jesus telling us the objective, true for everyone, truth, right? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you hear the decisive language there? Cancelling the record of debt. That's your guilt gone. Guilty verdict, not for you. Do you see who the shame belongs to? It belongs to the enemy, the the rulers and authorities who are in open shame that Jesus is triumphing over. Not to you. Not to you. Not for God's people. They've been set free from the guilt and they need not carry the shame which belongs with it often in our feelings and emotional lives. Will I ever be good enough? Well, in Jesus, you are now and you always will be. Of course, as far as um, you yourself being a follower of him and battling with sin, that continues. You're not going to be perfect and free from sin until, well, until the end, when, when, when you're, uh, you're, the process that God began is completed. He's still going to use the circumstances of your life to shape you and chip a bit off here and convict, a bit, convict you of sin there and to make you more and more like Christ. And one day, when he who began the work completes it, you'll, be, you'll reach perfection. You'll, you'll be free from sin. You'll be fit to live in the new heaven and the new earth. It won't impact you anymore. And you'll be with Christ. So you won't be ever good enough in and of yourself You need Christ every day as we walk the earth. 
but he's good enough. As a, a person tonight outside of the Christian message, will I ever be good enough? Well, you certainly won't be able to live up to the expectations placed on you by the culture in the present day. That's not going to happen. You can't have it all and you'll, um, you'll feel miserably if you try. And of course, you won't ever be able to meet the expectation God places on you either. Because as the Bible tells us, you're a fallen child of Adam like the rest of us. And that places us outside of our relationship that we were made for. It's no wonder you sense your guilt because every time you break God's law, well, that's what happens. But if you come, if you come in repentance and faith, believing in the goodness of Jesus, our law keeper, our, our perfect record saviour, the all-rounder, well, it's a very different story. Because in that, when you come and trust in him, his perfection is, is counted as yours. His death actually takes away your sin guilt and you need feel, feel shame no more as a result. And we look to Christ. In fact, the answer for those who are outside of Christ is exactly the same as the answer for those who have already trusted in him. We look to Christ. In him we see our, our guilt has been removed. In him we, we, we recognize that we need feel shame no longer because we are, according to God's word, and I, it says it in black and white, the debt's been canceled. The guilt has been taken and there's shame no longer required. He's good enough. We're with him, joined to him, free in him, triumphant in him. And so the answer is, in Christ, yes, you are good enough. But outside, well, it's just not the case. And we urge you to, to consider. We urge you to think again. We urge you to consider your need of a Savior called Jesus. For that's the only hope for those who aren't good enough. Let's pray together. Father, guide our hearts, we pray. Lead us each and every one to the Savior who's good enough. The one who deals with our guilt and also allows us to have his perfect record in living in the world without sin as our own record. And we pray, Father, you would speak to our hearts and guide us in all these truths. Help us to live an objective truth of what your word says and not relying on our feelings because they're frequently inaccurate, Father, unhelpful, and sometimes plain wrong. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our final song, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.